welcome to Entire Pursuit Podcast, where I believe we can dislodge doubt through engagement, uncovering inherent value. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller, a guide on our journey to help get a few things done, convinced the second best time to start is today. It can be hard to imagine what is good or what we even want. But going back to the first episodes for a second, remember how important it is to know where we want to go? In my first interview on the podcast, Marsh mentions how upsetting it is to see the extreme divisions in our world today. Based on the pulse of America, it appears the divisions have only increased since we did this interview back in 2018. It may seem too simple, but having a knowledge of good and evil is essential in these times, especially since we are called to be co-workers with God to make creation as amazing as possible. The project you are working on or dreaming of is you exercising your creative abilities. So let's get to it. You will be able to feel the passion Marsh has about his interest in how to know what is good. Here's part one of a two-part interview. Episode three is titled Pursuing an Image of the Good. I've got my friend Marsh Moyle. Hello, Marsh. Hello. Marsh, I was going to suggest I introduce you. And I was going to introduce you as a disciple, missionary, husband, father, brother, and of course, we know you're, you're a son, but you're, you're a human, and then um, a teacher at, at Labrie. Mm-hmm. Anything I can add, you'd like to add? Oh, I, um, for many years, I worked in Eastern Europe, lived in Eastern Europe, and uh, did research on the church in Eastern Europe. I um, was involved in book distribution under communism, um, which involved... Um, smuggling books into into Eastern Europe. Um, what I really loved to do was to um, uh, talk with people about their life situations in under communism. And then after communism, when we lived in Eastern Europe and, and developed these publishing houses and a study center that we uh, ran in Slovakia, um, I loved to talk to people about life. Okay. Think about the questions that that life raised and everybody can tell march's english accent you just sound smart with your, your english <laughs> accent this is an advantage isn't it you so marsh was born automatically in england. add 10 points to your iq <laughs> were you you lived in malta is that I, true i was born in england i moved to malta when i was uh seven i lived there till i was 16 and where's malta uh it's just uh south of sicily and north of libya right okay. in the middle of the mediterranean it was a part of the British Empire then, and uh, came back to England, lived in England for three years, and then moved to Austria, uh, where I lived for 17 years, met my wife, and then moved to Slovakia, where I lived for another 17 And years. Tula is your wife? Tula's my wife. She's from, from Finland. Finland. All right. Uh, we met in Vienna. We married in Finland. Marsh knows that I'm a big fan of story structure, so... The only reason I remembered Tula's from Finland is one of his stories around the way they celebrate Christmas. In yeah. Finland, 
the, the oh, in Finland, most like of to Europe, celebrate on they celebrate on the twenty fourth. Okay, <laughs> and in England, we celebrate on the twenty fifth. Yep. So the big day is different, and when you marry cross culturally, little things like that become big things. Yes, because you're, so you have to work it out. Yeah, you're. She expected the downtime, the family time, to be all of the twenty fourth. Where mm-hmm. who knows? You may have still been buying presents, and then on the twenty fifth, that's the exactly the sort of thing finish happened. starts and, to and get more active. And what we ended up doing was celebrating on both days. <laughs> so we would we would make it work, but we had to first understand it. Uh, and that was that was a learning curve. Appreciate you giving that background. We've recorded two episodes so far for this podcast called "The Entire Pursuit," and I've introduced myself as a spiritual being, husband, father, um, employee, and athlete. So I've going back to the story structure mm-hmm. form. I've it's helped me to understand my life in in those categories. That's not all of who I am, but mm-hmm. it, it helps summarize it and has some talking points. Yeah. That I can then yeah. share more about what it means to be an employee where I work and then mm-hmm. to be an athlete. It means I love to run and I love the endorphins from from that. Mm-hmm. So I've I, discovered rowing. Okay. I, I have a rowing machine and I row for 40 minutes three times a week. And I've also just discovered endorphins, which is quite, quite pleasant. It is. <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning. Some of the times I the times I feel the most alive is during a run Mm. and I think it's partially due to the endorphins and it's not necessarily the part of the run that's the hardest where I'm breathing the hardest but it's when I'm out there maybe it's dark and I'm out there by myself and I can just um, feel the maybe the sense of accomplishment but there's some type of um, chemical that's Mm. released is there a time when you think of when you feel the most alive and I haven't prepped Marsh on these some of these questions but I did give him a little preview of some questions I'd like to ask him tonight. Um, usually in relationship to other people. Um, the Bible says it's not good that man should be alone. And and um, the reasons for that are important. And uh, it's just one very short little verse in the Bible. But I think it, it um, reflects a much deeper truth that God is Trinity. And we need to be in communion with other people. And that is what it means to be alive. And that small verse is in the beginning of the Bible. Right. In the very beginning talks about what we'll get into eventually is trust and Mm -hmm. how we can trust God's word. When he he said, let there be land, there, there there was land and light. That's right. Those first four chapters of the of Genesis are very very compact, and you need to see them as very compact ancient literature, which is very full of of um, thought provoking, and and part of the interesting thing about Genesis one, which I think ends in Genesis two chapter of three, is is where God says, "Let there be," and it was, and it was good, and He repeats it, and He repeats it, and then He says. And it was not good. And first thing you, you, you learn is that you can trust God's word because what he says happens. And that is the definition of trust. Can I take your word and see it implemented or, or is it just air? And then when he says it's not good, he, he's, he's, there's a literary structure there where he's saying it's good, it's good, it's good, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone because the man is incomplete without someone else he he has no object in which to place his um his love his 
his existence. And he doesn't have any way of um, getting feedback about who he is. So the only way I know I have egg on my face is if my wife or another good friend tells me. Uh, I could walk all day <laughs> without, you know, looking like a complete idiot and, mm. and unless a loving person tells me. And that's where the trust comes in because how do we know each other? We know each other because we reveal to each other and that this is a true and significant knowledge. It's not, um, uh, it's not as if uh, the sort of mythology we live in today is that all knowledge that's valid is scientific knowledge. But I will never get to know my wife or my girlfriend or whoever uh, without them revealing themselves to me. And that revelation is based on them trusting me. Uh, so it's not only God who reveals, but it's also human beings who reveal. It's something we forget. And that is real knowledge. It's tentative. Uh, we don't get all the knowledge we would, we would like. And we don't get it all uh, in the sequence we would like. We have to learn to listen well, but it's real knowledge. And so knowing one another, we, we learn to also to know ourselves. I, I know from the inside out, but I don't know how my, I impact you, for example, unless you tell me you were too strong, you were too this, you were that. And I, I'm able to moderate my own behavior on the basis of your revelation to me about how you experience me. And that is not insignificant. And so, uh, it's not good that man should be alone is more than just he needs, uh, he needs to be in a, a marriage relationship or something like that. Societal relationships are also included, I think, in that little sentence. And then I love that you also say God was complete in himself, but he chose to create us. That's right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you ask why? He didn't have to. <laughs> he chose to. That means he wanted me to exist and you and everyone else. We're not accidents of history. If God didn't choose to create, then we wouldn't be here. Um, and there are, there are two basic ideas. Either we are accidents of history, just a part of the flow of matter and eternal matter and who knows what, and chance and time, or there is a being who is personal behind all of existence. All right. And the question is, what's that being like? Mm -hmm. Marsh is going to publish a book soon about law, and it really intrigued me to understand why Marsh was so enamored by, by law. And you were sort of interested in why David was so interested in um, meditating on, on the law. Mm -hmm. And so... I always think of the law as so negative, thou shalt not kill. And then I love how you spun a lot of those commandments positively. You touched on something else about knowing another person, and mm -hmm. that's how we love them and love them more. I just wanted to, to let you speak to anything about, about love and knowing before we venture well, the, off. My reason for being interested in the law is because I'm interested in goodness and okay. what God considers to be good. And I'm interested in that because God is supposed to be loving. And loving isn't unrelated to being good. In fact, love is an energy. It is, a, it is an emotion, something that moves me. An emotion moves me towards something. Um, 
and it may have many feelings attached to it. So we sometimes we conflate feeling and emotion. We, we shouldn't. We should keep them separately. So the emotion is a, a the energy to do good to another person. The, the emotion of love is the energy to do good to another. The emotion of anger is the is the energy required to get sustained justice. Uh, and you could go on. And uh, the, the, so so. The, the emotion of love may have many different feelings attached to it. One of the things I say to people is, how do you feel at three in the morning when your child is just vomited in the bed, your wife has the flu, and you've got a business meeting at 7.30? You you feel tired, you feel frustrated, you feel angry or whatever. A victim, yep. And you get up and you, you do the loving thing. You do what <laughs> is right to your child because you love your child. And the love is the energy that gets you out of the bed. The feelings are all perhaps negative at that moment. Mm -hmm. You'll have positive ones later on. But at that moment, they may well be negative, but they're still loving feelings. And uh, I find that very liberating because we have this strange belief that all the feelings of love have to be positive all the time, and they don't. And so we feel, oh, I've fallen out of love because I don't have these positive feelings. No, I'm, I'm committed to the best good of my of of my beloved. Now, what is the best good? And that's where you come to my interest in the Old Testament law, because because David describes uh, meditating on these ten words. You see, ten words to change the world. Um, and you think, what was he seeing that I, I haven't seen? Mm. <laughs> and I spent, as I said, many, many years living and working in Eastern Europe. And further east you go, the more difficult and corrupt it is, the less people have a, an image of goodness in their mind. But you consider a bunch of keys. And you ask yourself, why do I have those keys? Well, there's only one reason. And that's because somebody else wants your stuff and you have to protect it. There's no other reason why you would have that. Um, and so your house, your car, your, your everything you've got. Uh, you think of, of, of the, the bicycle you ride into town with and you lock it up with all these great big chains and, and, and so on uh, somewhere in the town. And if you didn't, the bike wouldn't be there because someone would take it. And what, wouldn't it be better to live in a society where everyone said, well, that isn't mine, I won't do that. And so you start to imagine economically, sociologically, psychologically, what changes would happen mm-hmm. if everyone said, yeah, I, I, I don't think murder is a good thing. And I think that's what your book is going to touch on. It's going to touch on all of, all of that in the law because Paul says in the New Testament, love is, is if you're doing these things, you're loving. So if you're promoting life rather than death death if you are honoring your 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 family if you are um, resting in god for your your sabbath which i think is something which is vastly more than just uh, not doing much on sunday fulfillment of the law is love but we when you are doing those things you are you are actually loving another person um and uh that is a very fruitful and positive way to live. Actually, when you are doing those things, you are developing a society of trust. Because a society in which you knew your property was safe, uh, or that you wouldn't be murdered, is a society in which would have very, very much higher levels of trust than we, we have now. 
Um, and I'm, I don't want to be utopian in this. Um, I, I, I don't believe in utopias. Um, I do believe, though, in having ideals in your mind that you are working towards and you've, you, you want to know where you're going. Well, many people pray, and this is how I be in my book, many people pray the Lord's Prayer. They say, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. I say, well, what is that kingdom like? Would you really want it if it came? Would it be boring? Uh, would, would it be, be an internal church service yeah, in the church sky? Church service in the sky, to, you know, and, and you don't really want to go to church on Sunday anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's it's it is the environment of trust in which you are truly free to live out uh, the wonder of of the creativity for which you've been made. Uh, and I think that has lots of potential. Yeah. People can find a lot of these lectures at Labrie um, yeah, Library. The, so in the Labrie Ideas Library, it's Labrie-Ideas-Library.org. And I love the question <clears throat> answers afterwards. And that's um, I get to answer my, ask my own questions today. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you trusting me to to come over and do this interview. Is there one of the Ten Commandments that you can sort of fit that? reason on why you came over here what what i find interesting is the first commandment um i find the actually the introduction uh i'm the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery and if you understand that correctly god is saying i want you to be free so what is the nature of freedom um and that is a very complicated question Mm -hmm. Uh, we we think of it purely in terms of I want to do what I want to do, sort of fulfillment of my desires, which is which is a very short-sighted thing because you and I and everyone else has conflicting desires. And it's quite possible for us to, to want to choose between two forms of addiction, for example. So it's much more complicated than just, just that. But but um the first commandment, um I am the Lord uh, your God brought you out of, out, of, out of Egypt, have no other gods before me. The first, my breakthrough in thinking about these things was to, to realize that uh, I was imposing on that text something that wasn't there. If I was acting out a one-act, one-line drama and a play, and the play so it just said, have no other gods before me, what tone would I put into that? And... I heard myself putting in a don't you dare have it's a really vicious sort of tone. And then I realized that that's, the, 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 I mean, obviously confronting the creator of one and a half trillion, you know, how many galaxies there are in the universe is, is an awesome thing because God is big. Uh, but uh, I had no right to, to impose this vicious tone that I'd somehow managed to hear. Uh, pick up through my life and I I thought I wonder if he's saying have nothing in between you and me let there be nothing in between us so in other words come close here's, here's you here's me and in between us there are all the idols now get them out of the way and you have the best view of the most creative the most beautiful the most wise the most understanding the most phenomenal intelligence that's ever existed or ever will exist, the infinite. And so the God is the three in one who is the infinite intimate. And now he is offering to, uh, for us to draw close. 
But how do you draw close to something that is that massive and that powerful? You do it very carefully mm-hmm. and according to his instructions because you may get hurt. Mm-hmm. And so these are the ways in which his, his, um, what follows are the commandments to keep you free. Uh, the, the, the rest of the commandments are the typical ways in which we enslave ourselves at a much deeper level than, than just physical slavery. I love it. You've got the experience in the, the communist societies and you've seen, I'm sure, some communities come out of it. And I remember one of your lecture points was that those that come out of it know what they don't want, but they don't necessarily know what they do want. And I think that's relevant for our listeners. A lot of, hopefully the listeners that are listening to these preliminary podcasts are starting to think about things to check off their to-do list, um, bucket list items to achieve. And they've had those on their list. And I think that's a good starting point. Know what you want. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to develop a plan. But I thought that was interesting. You noted that. And I've been the same way with my bosses. I've become a manager and I've known what I wouldn't want to have done to me as a boss. But I didn't know what it meant to be a good boss necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it totally was dependent on my employee. What did they want? Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily what I would have wanted to. That doesn't define a great boss. Yeah, I, th- I think the... Um the dissidents who resisted um, some fairly horrific uh, domination um, knew what they didn't want because it was, it was right there in front of their faces. Uh, they, they experienced it. They experienced prison. They experienced being dismissed. They experienced... But if you resisted um, in, say, Czechoslovakia, you, you would have been... Um, dismissed from your job. Okay. So someone who's at the university teaching, lecturing would end up being a boiler keeper in a in a in a uh, power a tower block or something. And and of course for them that was one level. It was great because you had a lot of time, so you could read and study and write mm-hmm. and do all kinds of things. Um, but you often didn't develop the ideas of what a good society might be. You just knew how to resist a bad society, okay. and you tried to figure it out. It wasn't as if they didn't didn't do that, but it's not easy to imagine. And a lot of people in the popular mind in 1988-87, when things were beginning to collapse, they looked to the West and they thought, well, the West has got the answers. They've got the nice cars, they've got the equipment, they've got all the rest of it. But then they discovered that um, after, after 1989, that some of that promised more than it actually um, delivered. And it's okay to have a nice house and a nice car, but you have to work so hard for it that you end up losing your relationships. Mm-hmm. One of the wonderful things about Eastern Europe over the years, we worked there with the deep relationships and the, the interest in very serious questions that many people had. And um, that's something I valued, I valued very much. But to get back onto your, onto your, um, your topic, I don't think um, it's easy to imagine the good. Uh, we know what is evil. Mm-hmm. We know it. We experience it all the time. We know levels of corruption. Now, in your country, in the United States, you have much lower levels of corruption. You might find that hard to believe than many other parts of the world. But to live in a truly lawless society is a terrible thing where the courts are corrupt. Uh, and even in Eastern Europe, it was, it was a relative thing uh, when you the further east you go, in some places, literally, 
power is is might is right and the guy with the biggest stick wins mm. and to live in that kind of society is horrific which is why the polarization present now not only in the united states but all across western europe is deeply concerning because um we need to we need to know that there are we are all under law but we need to know what that is is there something to which we can all submit that makes us more trusting and more trustworthy and that's probably more important than than you know they things go hand in hand and our relationships are absolutely dependent life-giving relationships are dependent on trustworthiness and on being on on being trustworthy and in then being able to trust in the other person and uh that's not a simple thing mm. and it's easy and this is why I, I find the modern um, political discourse so discouraging on both sides. What we need is to present and see right and wrong. And right and wrong are not black and white. Mm-hmm. That's for kids. That's, that's, uh, uh, right and wrong are deeply mixed and embedded in, 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 in any given time. So... Um, to my mind, uh, and I won't take up too much of your time on this, the <laughs> distinction is is between exercising proper dominion or being a dominant person, being so dominant that you're taking away other people's freedom. And um, We're called to be a co-worker we, with we, God. That's right. So we're, we're supposed called. to exercise dominion. And I think exercise of dominion is the ability to be self-controlled. And that is a requirement for freedom. If you want to know one of the reasons why that little tree is there in the garden in that story, I think it's because you have to learn to say no. Because without, you know, freedom's worst enemy is freedom. If you, if you aren't able to control your, your freely exercisable desires, you're under their, uh, you're a slave to them. Mm. You have to be able to say no. And there is this one tree in this garden. It's a very interesting story because you've got this mass of, uh, God says, you can eat from any of the trees, just not that one. And of course, what do we think about? We think about that one. We don't, no one's ever told you, asked you, well, what were the other trees like? You know, it doesn't, doesn't even get a shoe in, you know. Um, we, we immediately go to that one. And, um, and so we are supposed to exercise dominion and therefore the knowledge of good and evil is absolutely essential because you, if you're going to exercise lordship over yourself and together with others over the world, you are going to need to know what good and evil are. If I was a gardener, I need to know this, these are weeds. I need to know this tree can grow this high. I need to prune it at this point. So. That's a very, I would consider that a very mm-hmm. basic level, but I do need to know what's, what's good and not good for those trees. So what I'm saying about the law is that to exercise proper dominion, you have to know the limits to your power. Okay. Is your power, where do I restrain? Where do I hold back? You think of God who is all powerful. Where does God hold back? Because if he speaks, he would wipe out any freedom that we would have. So his silence or his perceived silence is sometimes because he's saying, I want you to grow up. I want you to be mature. And if I become too dominant, uh, you don't exercise dominion. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. 
I've heard a lot about the original sin, but I've also heard it called original blessing. So as you said, who knows, could it have been a blessing for Adam and Eve to be not necessarily abruptly cast out because everybody sort of reads that into it, but it might have been a blessing for them to go learn that. Well, in a, in a sense, it's a great tragedy. Um, in, a, in a much, much more profound sense, God must have known that it was going to happen before he started the whole project. And that's a much bigger question, a much more difficult question to answer. And I don't have an answer for it. Hmm. Um, I have clues and, and so on. But the more I understand the nature of goodness, the easier it becomes to understand it. Um, and I think I'm only really scratching the surface. Hmm. Um, but there you have a man and a woman who have the opportunity to choose in the creation or to accept a revelation from out of the creation. And I believe the law um, is um, not just an arbitrary set of rules, but an, a description of the nature of God's character, of who God is as a being. Mm -hmm. So God can't stop being good. God is eternally good. And what he's doing in the Old Testament law is simply saying, these are the parameters, these are the basic things that you're... But what you see in Christ in, in the New Testament is the full-on thing. You know, okay. he, he, he fulfills the law. So in the Old Testament, you have a shadow. In the New Testament, you have the reality. So in the Old Testament, the shadow is a two-dimensional reflection of a three-dimensional thing. It's quantitatively, substantially different. And um, the more you meditate on that, the more you say, hey, this would be the best way of living. Thank you. Thank you for fleshing out that good portion to speak to some of that other. I think some of the listeners can start to imagine what would be good with if everybody kept the law perfectly, we would eliminate a lot of the border security. If somebody came into the country, they would say, yes, I am a citizen and they would, they would enter. And then if somebody was... Mm -hmm. They probably wouldn't cross the um, border illegally anyway. We would have prisons would be no longer or they would be transformed into something else. So, I'll just let the listeners continue to imagine. But do you think, I know your first book will be around the law and the, the how it's helped you group. I would say the first book more. is about the moral imagination, awakening the moral imagination to okay. goodness. And it just uses the categories that, that you find in the Old Testament. Um, as a starting place to uh, to expand on that, okay. uh, because God seems to think those categories were useful. I mm -hmm. thought maybe that'd be a good place to start. And the second book would be a novel. Um, I've written eighty percent <laughs> of a novel, and I, I, I stopped it last year in order to do this present book um, at the request of some friends who. Perhaps think I'm going to die before the novel gets finished because I've been working on that for four years. But I'm going to go back to that as soon as I can. It's the same material, um, the same ideas, but in as I imagine someone wrestler as as I wrestle with it, and with friends of mine who've wrestled with it, and so it's it's some of that in a more visual graphic form because I'm a more visual thinker anyway. So I appreciate that 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 way of looking at things. Thanks. Can you give a glimpse into it? Would it be uh, maybe a guy that walks through a world that's everybody's walking? In uh, yeah, the law it perfectly? starts. It starts in two places. One of them is a a city state, which 
looks remarkably like communism. Okay. Um, another one is a set of islands that are drifting apart and have lost their center. Okay. Which may look significantly like um, the hyper-individualism of our Western world. Okay. Yeah. And people come from both of those in search of something else. Um, I won't go into the details. but And then they go through a series of processes and adventures, which, which make them think about these issues. Great. Uh, but... Um, if I ever finish it, it'll be. It's. A, it's, it's I, I love to write it. I enjoy the the exercise of stimulation, Great. the imagination. I love how some of the questions in some of those lectures are asking you, "Now what? Um, why? Why would you want to think about all those negative things?" But I think you've spun it and said, "I try to myself think about them positively, like you did with the the first commandment." like you've done with Sabbath. If you can just end us on Sabbath, mm. I think that would be a beautiful way to I, wrap it up. Some people think Sunday is special. Some people think um, every day is the Bible is ambiguous in the New Testament. It's, it's It um, speaks a lot about Sabbath, but it doesn't tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. Sabbath has been seriously misunderstood. But I think I want to concentrate on the issue of rest. And trust. Exactly, trust. So, what disturbs my rest? What disturbs my trust? And there are questions. I think five areas of questions at least. Questions of my being, my belonging, my meaning, my significance, and my identity. And our communal being, belonging, meaning, significance, and identity. That, that are very profound. And they disturb us. Where do I belong? How do I know? Where am I? Should, where should I be loyal to? Um, and uh, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I going to make enough to sustain myself and sustain right. my family? That's right. Um, who am I? These fundamental questions. Do I have to create and curate my identity, as many modern people do on their social media presence, or can I just rest in the givens? of my existence because there is a divine being who cares and wants me to exist and wants me to stand up and take responsibility, wants me to wrestle with the issues of knowing and doesn't leave it all on a plate for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the tragedy of some of our modern Christianity is it wants to make everything tidy and God wants to make it abundant. And there's a great big difference. Abundance is always going to be messy. Mm-hmm. Uh, tidy is going to be nice, and and nice is um, uh, not a very adequate word to describe the wonder of God's creation. Great. And I wanted to have Marshawn because of this book coming out. It's going to be he's going to go through resistance to launch this book, and it's going to be similar to a lot of the listeners that are trying to start something, whether it's knocking off something simple on their to do list, painting the bedroom, or just simple stuff like taking out the trash. It, the trash just keeps on sitting there and they need a, a plan to, to do, I would say, be more productive. But good luck with Thank you. getting past the finish line on the, the book. And I'm sure you will. And it's going to bless those that they get to appreciate the, the law as much as you've um, started to appreciate it over the last, is it 17 years? How long have you, has this book idea been? Uh, yeah, probably about 25 years. It's and what's brewing. it's been brewing. Mm-hmm. When did you want to launch it? 
As a book? Yes. Oh, as a book, probably about eight years ago, I sat down and tried to write it. And Did I you couldn't. think it would take 10 years? No, I didn't. I tried to, um, I couldn't find the voice. I couldn't, I didn't know anything about writing. I find writing quite difficult. Even though you've been speaking about it, talking with people in cafes. That's right. Yeah. I, I sat down and um, this time last year, after having tried to put it into a novel form for four years. And by the way, I've been, I was working most days on that novel. So at least a couple of hours a day. Um, and, um, and then I've, obviously I'm traveling and doing other things. So getting back to it, getting into it. Uh, and but you know you talk about a plan you simply have to sit down and do it and and work on it until it comes so I read probably 15 books on how to write mm. I spoke to authors and writers and and practiced it until it started to come together and what was uh, last last this time last year my when a group of friends who I feel accountable to um, they said we want you to concentrate on this so i said i'll i'll stop writing the novel i'll sit down and i will just write right and see what happens and within a month i had gathered all the lectures and all the different things and put them in a rough roughly the order they're in now not quite but and then started to go through them and realized that now i actually had the voice so the timing mm -hmm. And having done all the work on the previous book had prepared me for this. And interestingly, this has now prepared me for, for, for the, for the rest of the, the novel. I'll be able to go back and do much more, much more quickly because I've been doing the thinking whilst I was writing the novel. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and now I've done a lot of the thinking that I want to do. I can go back to the novel and just put it into the, the, the visual images that I want to and and uh, want to explore. Perfect, and yeah, I think that that it's a sacrifice. You, should, you have to say no to other things every day, and you had to bring in your community. I think that's why it's a good full circle for yeah, this conver yeah. conversation. You trust those guys and. My friend did that same thing when he was starting to write a book. He brought us into breakfast and said, hey, this is going to get hard. I'm bringing you guys to surround me to help me persevere and stay accountable. So, yeah, that's very right. wise that's right. by you. So, when do you think people can get their hands on some of this this book and some of this? Well, when content? I find a good publisher and when I finish writing it. And the writing is nearly done. Great. Um, and I've got some people who are interested in looking at it. So, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Will this be a two-year thing? Do you think it'll be sooner than that? I hope it'll be sooner than that. Great. We're looking forward to it. People's publishing cycles and so on. Thank you, Marsh. Fortunate for us, we have Marsh for a follow-up interview. With having started to lay out an understanding of the source of the good, we get into the items us Westerners should consider applying to our lives. Episode four will overlap some items covered in this episode, and it explains why the time you invest in building community is worth it. And if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn or tweet me at J. Owen Miller. Music from this episode is from Luke Pygett. You can find Luke on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Entire Pursuit, where I believe we can dislodge doubt through engagement, uncovering inherent...